Welcome everybody to Rise Church. I'm so glad that you're here. My name's Aaron. I'm the senior pastor here and so glad that everybody made it out for Christmas cheer. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, be joyful. Oh yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like in the holiday season, like be joyful. You should hopefully do that. So man, we're so glad that everybody's here. I want to welcome everybody who also listening on our podcast. I didn't realize this. My, uh, our pastor, one of our executive pastors on staff told me that like hundreds of people actually listen to our podcast every week. Isn't that crazy? Just to think like, man, we have just great influence already and, and God's just doing an amazing thing here. So welcome if you're listening in digital land. But uh, man, we talked last week, we opened up this brand new series called Christmas Cheer. And the reason that we wanted to do it is because we as a staff, you know, as a church, we realized that many of the times I sit down with people and the things that we struggle with the most is not necessarily, hey, uh, financial things or, or gift giving or anything like that. We struggle with joy a lot through the holidays because you got to meet with people that you don't really ever really like to meet with unless you see them once a year. And the reason you see them once a year is because you want to see them once a year, only once a year. And so it's tough to be joyful around people who tell you the truth sometimes and just tell you what they think, even though you don't, they don't care about what you think they think you think. And so uh, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what God has to say about having joy in the holiday season, because the truth is, is is that we can all have joy, and God has a lot to say about that. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, if you don't know what we're doing just on a regular basis, we teach through sermon series here. And so we take a topic uh, for a certain period of time, and because I'm kind of ADDDD, I move on quickly. And so we don't stick with one thing for very long, but we're going to talk about it over the next four weeks. And we're kind of walking through the book of Philippians. And if you don't know what uh, Philippians is, it's in the New Testament. The, Bi- the Bible is broken up into... Uh, Old Testament and New Testament. So if you're new to church or Christianity, uh, that's kind of how the Bible is made. And in the New Testament, it starts off with what we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the life of Jesus. But Paul, there's a guy in, in scripture named Paul, and he actually writes some letters to some churches in cities. And one of them, the cities is Philippi, and that's where we're at. So the Philippians, the book Philippians is actually based on the, the city or a letter he wrote to the city in Philippi. In fact, most scholars believe that that's where Paul actually put and planted his first church. And so he's writing to uh, this this church in Philippi, and he's actually writing this big thank you letter. And what we find out later from most scholars, and really just if you research it, that he's writing from a prison. So you need to realize that the things that he's saying right now are not things that he's saying from a mountaintop. He's not sitting in a palace somewhere. Life isn't great. Everything hasn't gone his way. Not everybody's gotten him a Christmas present, right? He has a mother-in-law. He has a father-in-law. He's trying to walk through some things. And so there's some issues in his life that he's walking through. And then he starts to tell us some certain things about really how to be joyful. And so if you don't have your Bible, we're going to put it up on the screens, but we also have it on version on our Bible app. So if you go up and open up version uh, on, on an app store, like, you know, instead of Angry Birds, you just type in, uh, at, you know, version, and then you can search our, our church and we can actually see all of my notes. You can know where I'm going. So if you need to find it, we give you my notes everywhere. And so Philippians chapter two, and he says this, and he says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, he goes, so if you're going to be like us, you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to call yourself a follower of Christ, he says, then make joy, my joy complete. He says, this is how I'm happy. This is how you can be happy. This is how we can make joy complete by being like-minded. That's important. Everybody say like-minded. That's important, like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And he says this, he says, do nothing, everybody say nothing, nothing. just so you know in the Greek, that means nothing, all right, just here you go, you went deep, <laughs> you're welcome, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, everybody say humility, Amen. come on, that's our word for today, it's going to be humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of 
others. And so verse 5, he jumps in. He goes, in your relationships with one another, having one mindset, that's important again. So one mindset, he wants you to think this way. One mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, that's our kids, isn't that awesome? They're all learning about Jesus. All right, anyway, in the very nature of God, do not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And this is important. Rather, he made himself nothing. Everybody say nothing. Just in the Greek, y'all know what in the Greek, what does that mean? Yeah, there you go. Y'all are deep church thinking. All right, so nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, there's our word again, humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on the cross. Paul talks about and outlines outlines this idea of like, if you're going to be a Christian and you're going to go through life and you're going to deal with other people, here's his kind of like cheat card with other people. Be humble. In the background, as we read that scripture, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you today, God, that we are here for you. Lord, we're not here to lift up a church or denomination or a pastor. We're here to lift up the name of Jesus. And today, God, you can speak to us, God. You can do what only you can do. You can, you can breathe life into these words. You can breathe life into this church. God, thank you for what you're doing. We're humbled that you would choose us. We're humbled that you would want to be here, God, and be in our midst, God. So today, Holy Spirit, you take what only you take the words, you do what you could do, God, and we just expect, God, just a great revelation today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen, amen. Others above myself. That's what Paul says. He says, others above myself. You know, I was thinking about this in life. You know, what's interesting about as you get older, you know, you get multiple opportunities to start thinking others above yourself. You know, kids, they don't think like that. You know, when you're younger, when you're a child, you think really to your own interest. And it's not their fault. They're kids. They don't understand. You know, my children, you know, when I I go out with them, they don't think about what they want to do for dad. They think about what they want to do for themselves. But that's kids. That's what kids do, you know. And so as you get older, you've noticed this, especially if you've lived, you know, years on this earth or if you've gotten older in, in season in life, you start to realize that God gives you many opportunities to think less about yourself. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you, you know, the more you, you have, when you have kids in your life, when I first had a child, I realized, man, this is like a veil of selfishness being ripped out of my life. Because no matter what I do, that kid's not going to stop crying until I take care of him. And so I can, I could, I could act like I don't care, but it don't matter because it's, it's going, it's, I got to really not be selfish so that I can go out of my way to reach it. But I think probably the one thing, at least for me, has taught me a lot about not being selfish is getting married. And so when I got married, I didn't realize that like when you get married, at least for me, I thought it was like, all right, now I have someone to just completely take care of me and make sure me is good and I'm good all the time. And so like the Bible says like you serve me, right, honey? And I got to, that's why I was trying to make sure that you were understood that like Ephesians says that I can show you in scripture and I realized it don't work like that. You know, and married people say amen. And so anyway, but I remember when I first got married, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I was still working that out of me. I was working the others above myself thing kind of like into me and I was working selfishness out of me. I remember we went on our honeymoon and we went to the city uh, called New York. Now y'all have heard of New York, right? Because you, you are alive. So anyway, New York, we went to New York and we went to New York City and Manhattan and we were downtown and man, we loved it. I, I loved the city and we were going around and we were eating all the cool eating spots and you know, I was really wanting to make sure this is the first time, this is our honeymoon, this is the first time I'm a husband and I'm walking around 
around with my, you know, brand new wife. And I'm like, you know, I'm trying to be the man, you know, because when you walk on the street, I'm trying to be the man. So I'm like walking like, like a little bit, like I have her on my arm, you know, I'm kind of like hold her like this. And I'm like, she's mine to let all the guys know that she's mine. I'm like walking around with my ring, making sure her ring's like shone off, you know, like, like, Hey, you know, so she's just like walking around and she, it was so big. She had to like, you know, have a little, you know, wheelbarrow to carry it anyway. And so I'm just kidding. It didn't, it was like, you know, Anyway, so, so we're just walking, and so uh, we get to this thing called the subway. Now, have you ever read the subway, rode the subway in, uh, in New York? It's crazy. It is what people say it is. It's, it's pretty wild, and uh, so what we were going down, we were actually going down to go to go see a New York Yankees game. Now, this was before the, uh, uh, the, they moved to the new stadium, and so we're, you know, we're going out to Brooklyn, and it was awesome, so we get on this thing. But, but before we got into the New York subways, I thought I, I was always afraid about being pickpocketed, so my idea was I'm going to take all of the stuff because I was kind of like, like that guy. I'm like a control freak, so I'm like, hey, babe, give me your wallet, give me your keys, give me your money, give me everything, so I'm just going to hold it, and then I'll have it in my front pocket, and I was thinking about having a fanny pack, but it wasn't cool back then. It's cool now, but it wasn't cool back then. It was like right in the middle of where, you know, it was cool in the 80s, now it's cool now, and now it's like, it wasn't cool back then. So anyway, I was going to use a fanny pack, but I didn't have one. So I put everything in front of my pocket, and all she had was her phone. And so I'm like, okay, I felt secure. I'm holding my wife real close, and we get on the subway, and I walk in, and we're sitting down. Now, the New York subway is not it's not uncomplicated. It's, it's very complicated. It is like the worst type of system. So like some are, are A's and B's and some are colors and some are numbers. And I'm like, I don't, I just want to go to Brooklyn. And so I look up on this map and I'm watching the map and I'm, it's like going and it's like, okay, all right, I'm getting close to the Yankee stadium and I'm right there. And then I'm doing that thing where, you know, you don't know when you're supposed to stand up, but you're kind of on the edge of your seat. And so I'm going like this, I'm like standing up, up, up and down and I'm totally touristing it. You know what I mean? It's like you, people could point me out that I'm a tourist. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm up and down, I'm up and down, I'm pulling my wife, and I got her on my hand, and I'm, she's like, she's like, stop it. So she rips her hand from my hand, and just as she does that, I get to the stop, and then the doors open, and it's got that panic moment where you, you got to decide if you're going to get on or get off, all right? Now, I don't know if you guys are like me, but I stress out about stuff like that, and so I'm like sitting there, and I'm like, I think this is the stop. No, it's not the stop. I think this is the stop. No, it's not the stop. And I think I must have done that six times. But, but, but then I realized, oh, this is the stop. So I get up and I run and jump just as I get out the, the subway doors. They slam shut. And I look back behind and my little wife, I'm not kidding you. She, she's like two foot, I, nothing. She wishes she was at normal height. And so she's like, she's right. And I literally see her right above the th- I'm not kidding y'all. Like if y'all think I'm joking, she's like this. She puts her hands on the glass and she goes, and she's gone. And I just remember looking at her going like, oh, oh. And I was like, I just lost my wife in New York. Like she's gone. And so I'm standing on the platform and I'm going, I don't know what to do right now. I don't know what to do right now. And I realized like that's that. That, that's not good. So I run to the next stop, right? So I'm like running. So I go down and I run and I'm running to the next stop. I'm like, I'm going to catch her. I'm going to catch her. I get to the next stop. And I realized that in New York, they skip every other stop. So I'm like, oh no. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I get to that thing. So I'm running. So I get back in the thing. I run and I had to get to this one part where I had to go under this like little tunnel. And then the lights were like 
blinking like a horror movie. You know what I mean? Like, it's the worst thing ever. So I'm, I finally get off, and I'm hoping, I'm like, Lord, please just tell me she got off, and she's just waiting for me. Because at this point, remember, she doesn't have any of her keys, none of her, nothing. She has no, she didn't even have her subway ticket, because I took that from her, because I was like, I didn't want it to get pickpocketed. I'm nervous like that. And so <laughs> she had her phone, but it didn't work under the ground, because it's in the subway. And so I'm like hoping, because she couldn't leave. If she would have left, she couldn't get back in. The, it was just bad. So I'm like, well, I get around, and I turn around the corner, and she's sitting next to some kind of creepy, weird guy that's like twitching a little bit on this bench. I went up to her, and we run, and it was like slow motion. Y'all know what I'm talking? You know, like, it's, she was running, and we were slow motion. Her hair was flipping in the wind, and I was like, oh, I love you. And then she hit me, you know what I mean? Took all her stuff back. She took all her stuff back, and then I realized, like, that was like my first like figuring out like, wow, I really, that was the, probably pretty selfish to not think about my wife as I'm running off the subway, you know? And, and you and I have all these moments, right, in life where we kind of get into these situations with people where you, it, it, you have that moment where something could happen and you can choose your way, your interests, your likes, your dislikes, your things, your show you want to watch, your food you want to eat, your place you want to go, your time you want to be, the people you want to hang out with, the stuff you want to do. And we get all these moments and situations where we could think where God's asking us and Paul's admonishing to us. He's saying that we think others above yourself, but really oftentimes, if we're honest, we choose myself over others. We kind of, we kind of flip it a little bit. So, so Paul is saying, if you want to have joy in your relationships, especially in the holidays, if you want to like now, if you want to continue the same old, same old, then this is not for you. Like, if you're not a Christian in here and you're just like, look, man, I'm just here. I got lost, and I somehow, I thought this was IHOP. I'm, you're, you mistake big time. But, but, but if you want to have a better life, a better holiday season, a more cheerful holiday season, and have joy in your life, especially with other people, family members, friends, holiday worker, you know, your boss, all that, then, then Paul's admonishing us, choose humility. So what, what, what is humility? Humility is simply this. I thought this was an interesting quote from C.S. Lewis, and I thought this was a, just a good way to kind of encompass what it is. And he, he said this, he says, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. So a lot of us inside church, especially, we can get this wrong. We can be like, well, God, I have to make sure if I'm going to be a humble person, then I am terrible. I'm scum. I'm the worst. I'm lesser than less. I'm the, I'm the, you could not find anybody. I'm so humble that I'm terrible. And you walk around telling everybody how terrible you are and thinking that that's your, that you're humble. And that's actually not humility. That's actually a false form of pride because what you're trying to do is make sure everybody's still looking at you. And so what C.S. Lewis is, he kind of highlights for us really what Paul talks about and so much of it is it's not that you are thinking that you, of your, less of yourself. It's not that you're the scum of the universe, but you're also not the center of it. It's that you're actually not thinking of yourself so much so that you can actually look to the interests of others, that you actually as an ambassador of Christ, of, as somebody who, who walks around really wearing the jersey of the Lord, that when you interact with people, especially your family this holiday season, as you interact with people, especially your friends, as you talk to them, as you interact with people, especially your boss that didn't give you the bonus you thought you should, that didn't give you the raise you thought you should get this year, that you didn't get the thing, that you didn't get that corner office, and that dude who just got hired who is a nobody, come on. Like when you get around people, 
that instead of thinking of yourself, then them, then, but actually to think of them, then you. Now, why, why does this matter? You know, Proverbs is a great uh, book in the Bible, and it says that the Lord detests the proud. The opposite of humility would be pride. And so if I don't want to be detested by my Lord and Savior, <laughs> I need to know how to be humble. And so I want to spend the rest of the time we have today, I want to give you kind of four thoughts on humility, four thoughts on humility that I think Paul actually highlights for us when you're working with other people. And can I just tell you that sometimes we miss these things. Sometimes we can misunderstand humility. We can misunderstand what it's supposed to be in our life. But our goal today is for us to get maybe a few thoughts on humility and start to implement these, especially in our interactions with other people. Remember, Paul was talking about when you're interacting with others, when you're talking with other people, especially if they're not Christians. Listen, if you're a Christian in here and you interact with a lot of non-Christians, people need to be no, people need to think of you when they think of humility. They need to think of you when they think of you. They need to, man, that guy, if nothing else, that guy's humble because you're going to be able to reach them one day. One day, God's going to give you an opportunity to reach them for him, but they won't do that if they think that you know everything and you just everything to everybody else, right? We don't want to be like that. So four thoughts on humility from Paul. Number one is the humble are teachable. Everybody say teachable. teachable. Come on and say like you mean like you got Red Bull and you say Teachable. All right, the humble are teachable. Paul goes on to say, by being like-minded, having the same love, being on one spirit and one mind. The only way you can be like-minded is if you are teachable, which means your mind has to be able to be shifted and adjusted. And you'd be surprised how many, especially young people I meet all the time who have it all figured out. Like they got it all fit. Like you just, you, I like it when people ask me questions and then when I tell them the answer, they go, oh, well, I know. Well, then why did you ask? Well, why did you ask? You asked me a question. I'm trying to give you the answer. Before I even got done with speaking, you were going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were waiting to tell me you knew that already. Oh, okay. Well, why are we having the conversation? You have never, you're not like that, but you've met people like that, right? You know, you ain't like that. But, but just the other churches are like that. And so <laughs> pride says, I know everything. The humble realize they don't know it. Oh, we have this culture here at our church, and, and you know, it's, it's something we value. One of the things we call at our churches we talk about is a coaching culture. It's a coaching culture. The goal is, is that we realize that when you walk into Rise, you are not perfect. Shocking, I know. <laughs> it's kind of a revelation for some people, though, that you don't have it all figured out. That your gifting, even though God's gifted you in something, that our job as a church is to actually raise it up. So we believe in a coaching culture here. We believe that when you walk into our church and you get on the platform or you get in this kid's area or you get inside the parking lot or you are in the guest services or you're in the production area or you're trying to walk around, there's all these people that get come in early to serve you guys and to be a part of this church and made a, make it a spiritual family. That when we come in here, you don't do it all the way you could do it or should do it or can do it. And so our job as pastors and as leaders is to come alongside you and go, hey, you know what? Let me coach you in this. Here's where you could get better. Not where you're doing it wrong. And when you hear it, like when you're doing it wrong, you're a victim all the time. You ain't a victim. When you're trying to do something for God, man, there's always these areas we can get better and improve. And so our job as leaders and as pastors, my job is to see things inside of your life, to see the potential. The worst thing in the world is for me as a pastor, as a leader, is to see your potential and say nothing. Don't go to places like that. Don't be around church. I always tell people, man, find people and find leaders that see more in you than you ever see in yourself. Don't follow people who, don't, who are like, who's surprised by what you did? Like, I'm surprised. I just thought you were nothing. I mean, you turned out to be pretty good, man. Don't follow them. They don't have a vision for your life. Leaders should have a vision for your life. Churches should have a vision for your life. Pastors should have a vision for your life. Man, when I see people, all I see is potential. 
All I see is what can you be in Christ? And the only way you can reach your potential is if you are teachable. The, the, the humble ask questions to keep themselves teachable. This is important. Proverbs 15 says, The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feed on folly. God wants us to seek knowledge, continually ask questions. The humble not just ask questions. Man, they ask good questions. Every great leader, every great leader that I've been around, I've had an opportunity to be around. I've been around some incredible ones. Ones you know, book people who have written books that you know, people have done seminars that you know. God has put me in increasingly blessed situations to meet them. And whenever I meet them, do you know the number one thing that I tend to see and find with all of them is they ask incredible questions. I'm sitting in front of people who are like leading millions, not thousands, millions of people. I sit in front of them and they're asking me, they ask me so many questions that I can't ask them a question. I'm like, why are you asking me anything? I'm nobody. Let me ask you a question. Well, what is what they know? They know that they, the humble are always looking to find out how they can get better, to be teachable. They know they haven't arrived and the humble really know they never will. And so if you're in here where you walk around and you would like announce yourself to everybody as you walk in, like, hey, I am here. I have arrived. <laughs> All your problems are solved. But man, you better run from those people. Because they have more often than not have found themselves caught now and isolated themselves into, especially they, they tend to put themselves where they're the smartest person in the room. If you're the smartest person in the, your rooms that you go into, you, you, you in trouble. You in some trouble. Why? Because the humble ask good questions. Here's just a, I just wanted to give you just an example because I thought, well, if I say that, then some people would go, well, well, then what kind of questions should I ask? Well, these are just some questions off the top of my head. All right, if you're taking notes, write these down. If not, put them in your head, but you should take notes. Anyway, questions to ask, uh, where can I get better? What can I do today? What can I do to get better today? Is there a quality in me that needs to change? Ask your leaders that. What do you see that I don't see? Uh, but you got to be careful about these questions too because you might start hearing stuff you don't want to. That's probably why you don't ask them, but you should. <laughs> ask your wife this. Ask your husband this. These are good questions to ask. Why? Why? Because you're humble. You want to get better. Here's another one. How can I, uh, what, what should I do in this moment? What would you do in this moment? Or when you ask God, God, what can I do to serve you better today? These are questions that you want to, as humble followers of Christ in your interactions with others, you want to be teachable. So when your mother-in-law walks into your house to give you the recipe for her famous lasagna or whatever, and you could say, I know how to make that already. I know, I know how to do that. This is my house. You could say, what, what could you say? I'll just let you think about it. Number two, all right. <laughs> Number two, the humble, so humble or teachable, the humble celebrate others. The humble celebrate others. Paul says, in humility, value others above yourselves. I must be willing to celebrate those that are around me so that I can be humble. Not for them, for me. Not for them, for me. Have you ever, um, you know, what's interesting about our culture nowadays is that we are more connected than ever because of of this, right? So our phone uh, allows us to download apps, and so when we download the apps, 
Um, a lot of the apps in, that people would say, especially research would show us, is that most of us have some version of social media on our phone. And the great thing about social media is that you're able to keep up and connect with others that you maybe would have disconnected otherwise. You know, I thought one of the first things that, you know, when Facebook first came out or Instagram first came out, one of the coolest things is that you get to reach and connect with people you, you never, like high school friends, y'all know what I'm talking about, like people you, you knew back when you grew up or something like that, and, and you're able to connect with them. The problem is, is that, so the good thing about social media is that you're connected all the time. The bad thing about social media is that you're connected all the time. And so what's funny is, is have you ever noticed how when your friends post something online or they post a picture, uh, they tend to post the best parts of them? So if they go on a vacation, what do you think they post? We're on vacation. We're up here in Hawaii. Yeah. You know, and it's like 13 degrees outside as y'all walked in, right? Or, or, or you know, they'll, they'll buy a new car, right? No one post. Have you ever noticed how nobody posts the picture of, of the jalopy that they have in their their you know their driveway? Like no one posts when they got a flat tire. No one posts when like they oh man, look at my car has like no gas in it. That's awesome! Yay, celebrate! No one does that. But everybody posts when you get that slick new car. Man, when you just drove it right out the lot, like selfie. Hey, I got that new car. And you're looking at it, and you're driving around, and you're driving the car that barely runs. It barely gets you to your, your, wherever you're going. I, it must happen all the time. It sounds quiet in here. All right, so I'll get off of that. How about, this is my favorite. It's like when people have families, and then like my friends post their like kids have like, they're like, honor roll. And I'm like looking at it as my son is eating paste. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> They're like on a roll. They're amazing. They're about to be like highlighted in school because they're so smart. And my child's over here punching his brother in the face over and over and over again. I'm like, that is great. <laughs> and the problem is, is that sometimes you can get in this life where you get, you get, you start to see things and then you start to see like, you, you start to feel this word. It's the J word. You start to feel like jealous a little bit and you would never admit it. You would never, cause you don't admit that. I'm not jealous. I'm not, I'm not jealous of you. I'm not. But you, you kind of are because you wish that you're a little envious. You wish that what they had, they have, they're getting, you had, you have, you're getting. And so envy, it's, it's almost like easy nowadays for us. You probably don't even notice how much you do it when you flip through social media. It's how much you go, man, I wish I had that. You should audit yourself next time you're flipping through social media and just pay attention to how many times you go, I wish that was, I wish I had, I wish I could. Do you know that the, uh, the, the, the antidote, the antidote for envy, the antidote for jealousy is celebration? There's an antidote to it. So sometimes we do this with God. We say, God, don't make me jealous. So God gives you an opportunity to not be jealous. God, don't make me, make sure I don't envy other people. Okay, well, here's your opportunity not to envy. There you go. You're welcome. Surprise. And the antidote for your jealousy, the antidote for your envy is found in your humility and your humbleness to actually celebrate others. Rather than going, God, I wish I had that, what if you said, I'm so happy that you blessed them. I'm so happy that they have that. I know that they went through something that's so good. I'm so, God, continue to bless them. God, continue to do something. God, I celebrate not what they have. I celebrate what you're doing. 
See, it's a different perspective when you're humble. So when somebody walks into your house this Christmas, when, you have, when you're interacting with other people and they start telling you about all these goods, because nobody celebrates, nobody celebrates the bad things in life, right? They're going to come up and they're going to say all the good things. Celebrate with them. Celebrate what God's doing inside of their life. Man, be happy for them, be encouraging for them. Don't be jealous. Don't be envious. Celebrate them. So why? So even Thessalonians, Paul writes another letter. He says, this, therefore, encourage one another. Build one another up. You are the example of Jesus that they might not ever see up until this one point. Maybe all year long they've been living with the devil, but they get to, hey, get, they get an opportunity to live with, with, a little bit, with a little bit of Jesus. And that little bit of Jesus is going to come from you if, if you allow it. Or they can continue to live with the devil. And we all, he, he pops up in all of our lives a lot. Let's celebrate others. So the humble are teachable. The humble celebrate others. Number three, this, the humble go down to go up. They go down to go up. Paul goes on to say, he says, but emptied himself. This is Jesus talking. He's talking about, he's, he said, Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. I follow Jesus' example of humility by having a servant's heart, a servant's heart. Servant there in the Greek is doulos. Everybody say that. Say doulos. Come on, y'all just Bible scholars. Doulos, and it says means, means bondservant, devoted to one another, to the disregard of one's interests. So, so, so you and I live in a culture where most people aspire to be at the top. Jesus aspired to be at the bottom. Let me say that again. Most people aspire in our world. They encourage you. Every commercial you see, every Facebook post you see, every time you talk to someone, every time you wake up, every, every ad you see, every time you see something in the movies, in the culture that you live in, every music, every song you hear is you go get yours. Just do it. Make it happen. If you ain't going to do it, ain't nobody going to do it. You need to be number one. No one sings about being last place. You ever notice that? There is no song for all I do is lose, lose, lose. No, nobody sings that. You ever notice? If they do, it don't go very far. So most people aspire to be at the top. Jesus aspired to be at the bottom. Matthew chapter 23 says this. It says, Forever, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So, so, so God, what you're saying is, what you're saying is to go up, I need to go down. Wait, God, so, so God has these weird, they seem like opposites. He does it with giving. You ever notice that? He, He says, he says, give and you will be given to. He's like, that don't make no sense. I, how am I going to let go of something and be blessed by it? That makes no sense, God. And in this case, he's saying the same thing. He's saying, if you want to be exalted, if you want to get yours, if you want to accomplish all that you have in your heart, which, by the way, all you have in your heart is what I gave you. So if you want to have everything that God's desire is for your life, could be. Try being a servant. Why don't you try following before you lead? Maybe, just maybe, you don't have it all figured out. Maybe you could just go down to go up. Maybe Jesus had some, maybe he, maybe he knew what he was talking about when he modeled servant-like behavior 
in order to be exalted. Listen, if anybody who could, if anybody could throw around the God card, it was Jesus, wasn't it? Like if he wanted to, he could have just been like, I am God. Let me show you by turning John into a tree. Boom. He could have done that. But yet, the one person who had every right to be God and to be number one actually humbled himself to a a servant. John chapter 1, there's a book in the Bible called John, and it's one of the Gospels. It's the life of Jesus. And it starts off in the early parts of John telling about when Jesus started his ministry. And Jesus was not yet known as Jesus yet. He's 30 years old, walks up, and John the Baptist, different John, John the Baptist is actually baptizing people. He is the man. He is the main guy who's walking around. He's got the biggest church. He's filling up all the coliseums. He has all the Twitter followers. He is doing everything. Everybody, time he does Facebook Live, people log in, okay? This is the guy. And Jesus walks up to him. Jesus. Jesus. Okay? Jesus. Walks up to John. And John goes, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take the sins away from the world. John recognizes it's Jesus. Except it would seem that Jesus doesn't recognize he's Jesus. Because what does Jesus do? Does Jesus walk over and go, John, get out of the way. You don't know how to baptize people. Let me show you. I'm going to show you the proper way to baptize people. I love that when people, you know, people at the church. I've been in church ministry for long, many periods of time. I've been pastor for many years. And I love it when people walk up to me and be like, you baptize people wrong. Oh, thanks. How many people you baptize before? Never mind. Okay, so anyway, that's back. But anyway, um, how was I talking? Okay, yeah, so Jesus walks up to John. He walks up to John, and John goes, John goes, this is the guy, y'all, I was telling you about. I, don't have, I can't even tie his sandals, let alone, let alone walk around next to him. And John, John goes, Jesus, will you baptize me? And Jesus goes, no, no, John, you don't understand. You need to baptize me. What does Jesus do? Jesus is going down to go. Uh, he's modeling servant-like behavior. How many times do you and I walk into a place and exalt ourselves? How many times without even knowing, you walk in and you go, no, I'm the most important person here. Uh, before you worry about them, worry about me. Before you do all that, what about me? I'm the most, but just me first. Okay, but love them, but just me first, first. First, me, me first. Me, me first. Them second, me first. And then Jesus, right? But Jesus models and he says, wait, you, you actually need to go down to go, you need to be a servant, you need to be able to, well, so in your interactions this holiday season, if you want to have joy with those that you hang out with, humble people know how to, oh, they, they pump the brakes, they don't exalt themselves, you don't have to have it your way this holiday season. It's not the end of the world, listen, it's not the end of the world if you, things didn't go just the way you planned. Come, come on. I know I'm like, I'm fighting a demon in here, right? And some, some people, some of them, no, I don't like that one. Go to number four. Come on, come on. Sometimes, listen, there could be someone in your family, could be someone in your friend. They're looking to you right now. They're trying to see how much of Jesus is legit. How much of this is legit about you? I know you're a Christian on Facebook. I know you got the, the, 
the fish on your car. I, I, what, what, how much of this is legit? They're looking to you. Number four, and then is this one. I'll get off of that one. You don't like it. Huh? So humbles are teachable. Humble celebrate others. The humble go down to go up. The last one is this. The humble remember where they came from. The humble remember where they came from. Paul ends it. He says, Paul took the form of a servant. He died even death on a cross. Death on a cross. He remembers. He remembers what Jesus did. He remembers what Jesus When I remember where I came from, I can truly be humble. The humble remember where they come from. There's these uh, people in the Bible, early parts of the Bible, if you're, if you're not a Christian, it tells a story inside of Deuteronomy that, 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 that the child, there was these, these people called the children of Israel. You might know them from the story, the Ten Commandments, where they got, uh, you know, where you know, Charlton Heston walks in and he goes, let my people go. You know, he does that thing and that he's Charlton's Moses and and so the children of Israel, they, they escape out of Egypt, they cross the river, and they go into the promised land. And, and it's an interesting scripture inside of Deuteronomy chapter 6, and he says this, he says, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It's interesting that he says, be careful. He didn't say, hey, be careful that you do really, really good. Be careful you make sure you cross all those religious T's and dot all those I's. Be careful. You, you, you know, you, 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 I'm telling you, you better be careful. You better be a Christian. He says, be careful you don't forget where you came from, what God did, how far you've gotten, what it was like before, what pain felt like without Jesus what your life was like without God, what your kids were like without a Christian father, what your wife was like without a Christian husband. Be careful. The biggest problem of the children of Israel wasn't, it wasn't the desert, it was their attitude toward it. It was that they lost sight. See, humble people never forget. You ever notice that? I walk up to somebody humble, and they they you they remember where they came from. Yeah, yeah, they remember what they gave up. They remember how much pain they've went through. They remember where they come from. They look back and they go, I I I, I can't even fathom a life without Jesus. I can't even think. I don't even want to remember what it was like before, so I'm going to remember what God did. It's like I, that humble people just have this, like, it's this muscle memory inside of them. They're always thankful because they always remember, and it always keeps them humble. See, humble husbands, they always remember what it was like before they had a wife. Prideful husbands go, what, man? Oh, you're the wor- you don't ever do anything I want, and they bicker about things. Humble people never bicker about the small stuff. They remember what it was like when they were alone, watching Netflix all by themselves. Humble people go, man, I'm just thankful I got a wife. I'm just thankful I got a house. I'm just thankful that I got family. I'm just thankful I got a mom that I can fight with. I'm just thankful that I got a job. It's not all the money that I need, but it's some money. I'm just thankful. Humble people remember what it could be, and Jesus is in their life, and now it's what it should be. Come on. They they remember. 
They remember. I'm going to close with this. This is just this is a silly story. This is kind of like a normal, oh, hey. How's it going? Oh. That's not mine. I got five of them. It could have been mine. Hey, if y'all want a perfect church, there's not one available. But <laughs> so I'm going to close with this thought. There's this uh, silly story. Um, it's kind of like a, you know, it's not a legend or anything like that, but it's just like a story that, that, uh, that you can kind of, I, re- I read in a book, and it was, uh, I was reading it about humility. And the story goes is that there was a dad and his son, and the dad and his son were walking along a trail, and there was this big rock, and the son looks to the dad, and he says, Dad, I'm going to go pick up that rock. And the dad looks at his son, and he says, Son, go do it. You could do it. Go. He runs over to the rock. The son runs over the rock, and he starts to lift it, and he can't lift it up, and he runs back to the dad, and the dad goes, What are you doing? Go back and lift that rock. He goes, I can't. I can't do it. He goes, yes, you can. Go back and lift that rock. So he runs back, picks up the rock again, starts, I mean, pulling on it, yanking on it. doesn't work. Comes back to the dad. He says, Dad, I can't pick it up. And dad goes, yes, you can. Go back and pick up the rock. Goes back a third time, grabs the rock, and just with everything in him, he, I mean, he, he pulls on this thing, doesn't move an inch, goes back to the rock, goes back to the dad, and the dad goes, and the son goes, son, Dad, I told you, I can't. I can't lift this rock. He, why did you keep telling me that I could lift this rock? He said, well, you can. You just needed to ask for help. I was, I was right here. You just needed to ask for help. You can lift that rock with my help. Humble people recognize that the rocks in their life cannot be moved without God. And there might be some rocks in your life right now. Some trials, some issues, some tribulations, some, some frustrating things, some things. There's a rock that's been in your life. But I'm just telling you right now by the Holy Spirit, there's a rock in your life right now that's been there for years. And you've been thinking you're so strong, you need to just go and muscle it up. Stop being strong. Your strength is found actually in your weakness. God's strength can actually come upon it if you just invite him in. He's God saying you can lift it. You kept going to God. And God keeps telling you, come on, son, you can do it. Come on, daughter, you can do it. And we're frustrated sometimes, and God's saying, will you just ask for my help? God's strong enough to help you. God's bigger than every rock in your path. My prayer is that this holiday season, you would find joy in humility.